We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. First Kings chapter 18, and I just want to read four verses right now, beginning in verse 20. The word of the Lord. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Another translation of that says, how long will you hobble between two crutches? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers with fire, he is God. All the people answered, that's fine. And you could hear the indifference in their tone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One more time, Father, we just are grateful that we are here, that we have your word to look to and that we have a community of brothers and sisters to enter into it with. We pray, Lord, that most importantly, your spirit would be here, that you would be drawing our hearts, our minds, and our souls toward you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so iPhones are a pretty important invention, right? And one of the things that I love about the iPhone is when you're text messaging another iPhone user because you'll get the little blue bubbles instead of the green ones. And it will tell you when the message has been sent. It'll also tell you when the message has been read. And then if they start responding back, you'll know because three little dots will pop up and it'll let you know that they're currently texting, right? And you'll get a message soon. Have any of you had the problem I've had of sitting there and just staring at that three little dots and waiting for a response to come? So, I text my wife, it says it's sent, sometimes it even says it's been read, sometimes three little dots show up, but a message never comes. This just happened the other day, she actually texted me first with a question, I replied to that question and asked her another question back, message has been read, three little dots, forever and ever, amen. In fairness, in fairness, this is what happened. She was at work. She had texted me. A customer walked in. She set the phone down on the table. She had to go take care of the customer. And because the app was open, it looked like she was working on it, right? So in, in fairness, I'll give her that one time. And in other fairness, she has the same complaint for me when she calls me because oftentimes she will call me while I'm in a meeting with somebody and I don't even see that my phone is ringing. I always keep it on silent. And so I, if I don't see it, I don't answer it. And so she could stand up here and have the same grievous complaint about me not answering when she calls. One of us might be exaggerating more than the other though. I'll let you figure out who. What we have taking place in 1 Kings 18 is crying out to a God and expecting an answer. 
waiting for a response, some kind of reply. And so Elijah goes to all the Israelites and he says, listen, you have been kind of tiptoeing between these two different gods. You, you know about the God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who brought us out of slavery to Egypt hundreds of years ago. He promised us a land and he brought us safely into it. He made us a kingdom. He made us a people. The promise was, I will be your God and you will be my people. You will represent me to the rest of the world. And yet, you've heard of this other God and you've chosen to give just as much worship and allegiance to this God. A God who seems to be no God at all. Remember, at this point, it had been about actually three and a half years where the God of rain could not, could not thwart the true God of all creation and send rain for them. A drought for three and a half years. And you're still, is it, is it Yahweh? Is it Baal? Now, we could read this today and think how absurd that is, right? But listen, church, today, how long will you hobble between two crutches? How long will you cry out and say, Jesus is Lord, and then devote 90% of your time to something else throughout the week? To a screen? To success? To Facebook posts and memes? To comfort? Choose your God, choose your bill. We all have them. How long will we waver between those two things? And so Elijah is saying, enough is enough. God calls him to show up there and do something drastic. And this is what happens. He actually allows the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. He goes, okay, you know what? There's more of you. Go ahead. You get, you get the first turn. Let's see what you can do. And so for hours, from morning until noon, they continue crying out to their God, praying to him, begging him to show up. And I, I want to read this. I don't think I had this on the screen. But this is what happens. Elijah gets kind of feisty here. And I love this. Like prophets weren't just these stoic guys who showed up and said, thus saith the word of the Lord. Like they would show up and they would do these drastic performance media things to get your attention, right? And they would say harsh words at times, but it was all with the intent of turning you toward the love of the true God. And so this is what Elijah says to them. Verse 27, at noon, Elijah mocked them. He's given them several hours, right? Nothing's happening. But before that, God had given them several years. So verse 27, at noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away. Now, let me let you in on a little uh, Hebrew background here. Because actually the translation of that is not just maybe he's wandered away. It's maybe he's turned aside to relieve himself. Maybe God's in the bathroom, right? Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. So verse 28, they shouted loudly and they cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon, they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. Listen, but there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. 
I mean, you, you have a God who tells you to cut yourself in order to show your loyalty to him. And then once you've proven that, then he'll show up. And then he doesn't even show. Again, this sounds drastic and absurd. Why would you worship a God like that? But what are the empty promises that the things we are giving our lives to tell us? What what are the empty promises that success holds out for us? That money holds out for us? That relationships with the wrong people hold out for us? That staring at a screen that can fit in your pocket for hours on end holds out for us? What are those empty promises? And yet we keep wavering back and forth between these two things. No one answered them. So what happens then is finally, Elijah says, okay, enough. You've had your chance. You've had your turn. Now let me show you what the real God can do. And what he does is then he has them, okay, here's what I want you to do. Let's make this even harder for me. There's one of me, 450 of them, but let's make even out the odds a little bit more, right? Let's make this more fair. So dig a giant trench around this altar, the altar of the true God. And then what I want you to do is fill four buckets of water. What had just happened for three and a half years? A drought. Yeah, let's remember that. It's important. Fill four buckets of water, right? And while they're doing that, he stacks up 12 stones. What's the significance of 12 stones? Well, if we remember, sorry, Yes, thank you so much. Oh, this is good. I'm not used to getting a response. All right, Missio, take note. Here we go. Feeling this now. All right. The 12 tribes, right? When God led his people into the land, he promised across the Jordan River. And just like he had parted the Red Sea when the Egyptians were chasing after them and they made it across safely, he does that with the Jordan River and they make it into the land he promised them safely. And what do they do? They set up 12 stones there as a sign, as a monument to remind themselves what God had done there. And the 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. God's people who he called to be a nation for himself, to be representatives to the rest of the world. This is what God's like. So what is Elijah doing right now? He's reminding the people who they really are. Remember, they're in a a civil war, a divided nation right now. These 12 tribes were at war with each other. And he goes, no, 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 no. God has put us together. God has established this kingdom. So then they bring the four buckets of water and he goes, just douse this thing with water, dump it on it. And it just drenches the wood, the ox that's on there, the trench starts filling up with water. He goes, okay, now go refill those four buckets and do it a second time. And they're like, all right, fine. Go fill up the buckets of water. Buckets of water can be heavy, right? They come back and they do it again. And he goes, all right, a third time. There's a couple things going on here. One, he's making it very clear. Like, what, do you, what happens when you dump water on a campfire? Goes out, right? He's making this very clear. Only God can do this. This is no trick from Elijah. He's not going to start the match. But more importantly than that, four buckets filled up three times. Do the math real quickly. What is that? 12 buckets, right? This is who you are. The God who brought you through the water safely. Not the Baal who claims to be the God over the rain and the water. The God who brought us out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the Jordan River. This is who we are. Dumps it on there. There's another significant thing for us to point out with this water. Where did the water come from? There was a drought for three and a half years, right? 
where are you finding water from? Now, obviously, they're still living, so they had water somewhere, but it wasn't readily available. And if you actually were to go to Mount Carmel, the closest body of water that you could get it from was the Mediterranean Sea. And at that time, when you're going by foot, that was not a quick, not a quick journey up and down that mountain with several buckets of water. It, it didn't happen. Most, most historical theologians suspect that what's going on here is they knew, okay, we're going on this trek up to the mountain. We're going to see these prophets go at it with each other. And so bring some water. Bring water with you into the wilderness. So they brought their own supply of water. And what Elijah's asking them to do is to step into the sacrifice of the miracle that God's about to do. How long will you waver between two? Remember, he says, which, which God are you gonna serve? And they did not answer. Silent, they, they, nothing. There's no effort on their part. So he goes, you wanna see God work. You gotta trust. Give me your water that you brought with you. But I, I don't have enough water. Dump your water on this. But what happens if I don't get it? The same God who can pour fire down on this can provide the water for you later. Spoiler alert, that's exactly what happens. God sends fire down on that altar and everyone goes, the Lord is the true God. The Lord is the true God. And then Elijah says to King Ahab, hey, there's a thunderstorm rolling in. And it just starts pouring. Water comes. Not from the God of Baal, the God of water, supposedly, but from the true God of all creation, the one who parted the waters at the very beginning of the foundations of this earth in order to make dry land happen, the one who parted the waters when they crossed the Red Sea, and the one who parted the waters again when they crossed the Jordan River. This same God was still here hundreds, thousands of years later, still present with his people. He made a promise, I will be your God, you will be my people, and he did not Turn and follow this God. So what do you have going on here? You have the people of Israel who did not answer when they were asked, who are you going to serve? You have Baal who did not answer when his prophets were crying out and cutting themselves. The only one who answers, who shows up when the people are in need, is who? Yeah, the true God. The one who called Israel to be set apart so that they could show the rest of the world, so that the whole nations would be brought in and see the real God and come to know him and love him. But this was their problem. And I wanna read just a couple quick verses before we land the plane here. The problem was this, in Jeremiah, and this is another prophet who comes later because what happens? Israel repeats their pattern. They keep rebelling against God. So in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, this is what God says. This is the accusation he has for them. My people have committed a double evil. A double sin. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And this is the second part. They dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. What he's saying is not only have you chosen to turn away from the true God, the living water, the one who gives life, but you're going after some other thing that can't satisfy you, never will. You may think for a moment, you get a little bit of taste there in your mouth and it just keeps dripping right out the bottom. That's that picture. These cisterns, think of a bucket with a hole in it. And you're going to try to fill up your water and it just keeps falling through. And it never is enough. And that's why you and I keep going back to our sin. It doesn't seem like it's enough. But what does Jesus say? Turn with me to John verses four, chapter four, verses 14 and 15. 
Let me back up verse 13. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from that water will get thirsty again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. This is what the true God offers us. Full satisfaction. Not something that will keep leaving you thirsty over and over again, but he will fully satisfy. And not only will he fully satisfy you, he'll fill you up so much that it overflows and the other people around us who need to hear this good news, who need a drink of the living water, will be able to see it and get a drink. That was Israel's call as a nation. Show the love of God so much, it's overflowing out of you that the other nations want some too. And church, that's what we're still called to today. And the reason that we can actually do it, even though Israel failed time and time again, they blew it over and over again, is because of something that happened on another mountain hundreds of years after this story. That another sacrifice on another altar was made. That the the wood was gathered in two crossbeams and the sacrifice was laid on this altar on the mountain. But this time the sacrifice was not a bull. It was the prophet himself you know, the one who came to speak the word of the Lord, to invite others to turn away from those broken cisterns and come find living water. He himself went on it. And when there was no answer from Baal to his prophets, in the same way, Jesus took on that terrifying agony of hearing no answer from the God you cry out to when he cried out, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It seemed to be that there were no answer. Three dots just perpetually going. But listen, just like there was this drought for the Israelites for three years, waiting on God to come, three days later, an answer came. Fire falling from heaven. This time it was the spirit of God himself reviving the very body of Jesus. He was not just some prophet and he was not just some man, but he was the spirit of God fully indwelling, the very image of God showing us what true representation of God looks like, calling us and inviting us back into being those kind of people. That Jesus wakes up from the grave, he steps out of the tomb and the power of God answered sin and Satan and death that day. And Jesus walked out victoriously. And then what does he do? He says, I'm giving you this spirit. The same spirit. This is what we're celebrating next week with Pentecost, right? That the spirit of God falls on the church, on the people following Jesus. And they are empowered now to go out and speak good news, to be overflowing cups of the love of God so others would see that and come in. And that is what I'm praying this church, whether you gather at 10 a.m. over there or 11 a.m. over here normally. These people of God, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, that we would be those people walking in the power of the spirit for the glory of God and for the sake of the world. Amen.